Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy, and uh, we're back at it with another movie for you. Yes, and this one's almost on time, so woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and I still have two fosters, or I mean, sorry, I still have a foster dog, so there may be extra animal noises. Just adds to our uh, warning of cats, but now dogs. It's animals. The, it's the ambiance of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Too quiet if you don't have that in there. Right? Right? I don't know. <laughs> sure. Why not? We, we can go with that. It makes you feel like you're in our home having a conversation with us. Yeah, Exactly. We just want you to be there. And since you found this movie, uh, do you want to introduce it? Sure. Uh, <laughs> so actually, my friend, my, my girlfriend Shelby found this movie and she's like, I really want to watch this. And I was like, okay. And then well, I never heard about it for <laughs> like three months. And all of a sudden it popped up on HBO out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, let's watch this. And um, we're we're talking about Antlers, which came out this year. No, nope. it is on 2021. Right, it's 22. Right. Um, I did the same thing uh, when I announced it on our Instagram. I was like, the Mm -hmm. new movie, it's from 2021. (laughs) So, yeah, that's where my head is. You know what? Everything since 2019 is all the same year. At this point, yeah. Right now. (laughs) It's all new. Um, Yeah, okay, so it came out in 21, not 22. It's called Antlers. Antlers. It's on HBO Max right now. Um... Or at least that's where I found it. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but... I don't think it is. For free, anyways. Yeah. Unless you want to pay money for it, which I'm a broke person, so that doesn't happen. (laughs) Um, This is classified as a mystery, lore, and horror movie. Which... I would just say gory. So this was directed and written by Scott Cooper. He has three wins and seven uh, nominations, mostly for his film called Crazy Heart, which was kind of his first big directing kind of credited film. Uh, And it starred Jeff Bridges, Maggie, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal and Colin Farrell, who I love. Um, His Irish accent gets me, man. (laughs) He's worked with like for being a fairly new director and unknown at the time. He's worked with a lot of big stars. Yeah, because he, uh, he also worked on a movie called Out of the Furnace with Christian Bale and Zoe Saldana, who are both doing, I mean, their big names are doing a lot of stuff, but, so. Yeah. And I'm sure there's even more famous people. I just uh, didn't recognize yeah. the movies or anything, so I didn't care. And then some of the other movies that he's done, uh, the some of the, like, the side characters in Antlers were in those movies as well. I think there's like two or three that have worked on some of his other movies. Hmm. He also has some acting credits, one of which includes Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> I love hey, those movies. <laughs> um, he played Bobby, the Klansman's son. Um, and to be honest, I couldn't put a face to the name, so I had to look it up. Yeah, I couldn't either. Um, I can't remember that character. I, uh, clearly, I need to watch some more Austin Powers. Obviously, we need to rewatch this again. And, um,. He does have a movie coming out this year called The P- the Pale Blue Eye, 
say that 10 times fast. The pale blue eye, the pale, pale blue eye. Okay, I guess it's not mm -hmm. that hard. I kept wanting no to say chance. plale. <laughs> Wasn't working. The pale blue eye. See, there you go. You kind of did it too, plale. Uh, there's, yeah, there's no way I'd be able to say it. The pale blue eye, the pale blue. Not, not, in, not in a row. No way. No chance. I used to, my favorite Dr. Seuss book is the Fox and Socks book. It's the one with a bunch of tongue twisters. Uh -huh. And I read it to Connor all the time. So I've gotten kind of good at tongue twisters. Um, I work for radio and I talk on the radio for a living and I still consistently trip over my words and stutter and have um, speech problems. Oh, so... I do too. But if you give me a second, I can get it. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, a lot. Life stuff doesn't get that uh, that 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 blissful uh, option. <laughs> my brain will never work, or my mouth will never work as fast as my brain. That's my problem. Agreed, one hundred percent. But the pale blue eye stars Christian Bale, so another big name. Maybe they're just good friends. <laughs> it sounds like he he's one of those actors that brings back people, or one of those directors that brings back people he likes to work with. According to IMDb, this movie follows a veteran detective who investigates the murders, helped by a detail-oriented young cadet who will later become a world-famous author named Edgar Allan Poe. Interesting. Could be good. Yes, we'll see. <laughs> um, he also is listed as a writer for a movie called A Head Full of Ghosts. Which IMDb says, uh, 20 years after her family was uh, publicly destroyed by her teenage sister's mysterious afflictions, a young woman tells a story of her own words, revealing a far more terrifying version of what really happened in her childhood home. I bet there was a possession or a haunting. Something like that. That's all we get on that one. A head full of ghosts. It sounds like it could be good. Oh, I like the title. A head full of ghosts. You're just seeing things. Your head is just full of ghosts. They call that oh. schizophrenia. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, additional writers on this include Henry Chazon, I think. Yeah. If that's not how it is, that's how it should be. Because that sounded yeah. legit. <laughs> uh, thanks. And... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and Nick... Antosca. Antosca. Something like that. It's Antosca. Antosca. There you go. We don't. Okay, that would make You know what? We don't know. <laughs> I tried. English wasn't. Gave a... I gave up. A... English is not my first language. <laughs> no, <laughs> it it's... is, but it's not. <laughs> it's um, texting. Texting is yeah. my first language. <laughs> yeah. Just the, just the letter U as for, for you. Like yep. you guys. That's how I read. <laughs> So Henry, uh, I'm going to just call him Henry Chazon. Yeah, he sounds better. Yeah, uh, he has five wins for a short he cre or co-created. Um, he's Izzy's age, fun fact. So I don't know people, how you feel about that. People that are my age that are so accomplished make me feel like such a failure. I feel that. One of my favorite DJs is legit three months younger than I am. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Or like when you look at TikToks and stuff and it's like five-year-olds who are... Fuck it, making a thousand hundred dollars a month, or like snowboarding <sighs> as good as like Sean White, and I'm just like, what if I? Where did I go wrong? What did I? And do you with... and I were tumbling down the mountains at age fifteen and sixteen. <laughs> you and I are still like I haven't been boarding in a long time, but we keep talking about going. And Tyler is really good. 
Um, and I know that I would be thinking, why isn't Katie here so that we could just get trapped in some trees and just eat snow? <laughs> like, Drop my board down the mountain again. It's fine. Say that again because it cut out. Drop my board down the mountain again. <laughs> Listen, we, were, we saved your life by doing so. It's okay. <laughs> People thought we were so dumb. <laughs> they were like, so we'll just tell the story. Uh, we used to go to, was it, that was at Snowbird, right? Yeah, that was at Snowbird. And we used to like to go through the trees. And what we didn't know one time was the trees that we went through were on a cliff. And so yeah. we stopped at the top of this cliff and it was right under this ski lift. And so we were sitting there just like contemplating how we were going to get out of our pickle because <laughs> we were trying to like scoot back up. But every time you scooted up, you, it was icy underneath. So you just, your board kind of slipped down. And everyone on the ski lift, as we were just sitting there trying to look like we were totally cool and not in trouble at all, we were. <laughs> they were like, "Do you need help?" Well, no, no, it's okay. And why would you ask for help when you need help? Who does I'm that? Prideful, and I don't like yeah. to accept help. Um, but somebody up there was like, "Yo, these bitches are stuck." <laughs> and so, <laughs> Katie. In the meantime, well, we did not know that. Uh, so Katie unbuckled her board. And I was like, because she was further down than I was, like right off the edge of the rocks. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I will hold your board. You unbuckle and like climb up. Um, and I dropped her board, <laughs> slid down the mountain, and someone it is like halfway down the mountain, and we were just watching it go. Like, oh, there goes my board. Watch okay. out. Um, uh, someone was kind of etiquette proper like mountain etiquette is that you pick up people's falling boards and stick them in the snow so they can find them yeah <laughs> so, and then i was like i'm fucked i don't know what i'm gonna do i can't move if i drop my board like then we're gonna have to roll down this mountain and that's when the ski people showed up ski patrol and they like thank you ski patrolmen made me put her it was so embarrassing they like oh my god if my rope. dad if they, if my dad listens to this fucking story, because we never told him this, of course not. They um, lassoed me and, like, ski patrolman, so pulled he... me up this little mountain hill, and I was so embarrassed. And then Katie <laughs> got to ride the ski patrol back down, <laughs> and I was just, he like, took me to my board. <laughs> We're fun. Let's be uh, honest, after... we went for the fries. <laughs> just after that, we went and got fries and a drink and made some fry sauce, and um, then we went home. <laughs> We're really fun to board with. Yeah. Yeah. We make the best fry sauce. Not really, but like... I like um, it. I dream about it. I still to this day. Or there's days where the mountain's just too busy and we go, fuck this, let's go get Arctic Circle and sit in front of the fire. <laughs> that was the first... And then do that instead. And we watched Scary Movies. That's the first time we watched uh, Hide and Seek. Yeah, oh yeah, and then you jumped up on the couch. So that was a fun time. That was scary. That movie got me. So now that we've been through our snowboarding phases... um. Yeah, clearly we know you guys all want to go snowboarding with us now. It's fine. Yes. Whatever. If That's you're in what Utah, we'll do. We'll, um, um... some <laughs> some podcasts do live shows. We go snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> we just invite all of our fans to go snowboarding with us. Snowboarding with us is like a horror film, so it's okay. <laughs> it really is. There's a lot of crashing. Psychological there's a lot thriller. Of, like, powder <laughs> going everywhere. Looks like there's an explosion at some point. In reality, it's just probably us hitting a tree again. But you know. It's fine. Uh, back to Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to what we're here for. Uh, so Nick and Asaka, is that what we said? And 
Antoste. And Tosca, there we go. That's what it is. I missed the T in there. Uh, he's the writer and creator of a TV series called Act, the based Act. on oh the Act. I'm sorry, based on the true on a true crime. It's um, oh he's also done. Is it Channel Zero? Yeah, Channel Zero. I don't know why I was thinking Chanel, um, but you know, <laughs> my brain it works great when it's tired. Uh, so Channel Zero, and then he actually was a part of some of the Hannibal episodes, which I hear is a really great series. So this movie is also produced by the one and only Guillermo del Toro, which is why I had a super big pull to watch this. Um, I love his work. I think his work is pretty wonderful. He always does great stuff. So I was like, let's watch this. Woohoo! What other <laughs> movies has he done? Guillermo del Toro, oh my goodness, he did um, the, the the Shape of Water, he's done Hellboy, oh my gosh, uh, I'm trying to think of like everything else, he's done so he's many movies. Commonly this... referenced as like the father of monsters or something like that? Um, kind of. He. Oh yeah, he did Pan's Labyrinth. He... I'm sorry if you heard that. Uh, he did Crimson Peak, which is a beautiful movie, but he, he's known for a lot of, um, darker fantasy styles. He likes monsters. He did scary stories to tell in the dark, the movie adaptation. He did, um, Pacific Rim, the original Hellboy with Ron Perlman. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. He's been a part of Blades, Mama, <laughs> You name it, he's been a part of it. So he's won a few different awards, including uh, the Oscar for Best Director and Best Picture for The Lotter, which I'm not exactly sure, but it was for The, uh, the Shape of Water. He also won uh, things for Pan's Labyrinth, which is beautiful. His creatures, he's known for his like fantasy and dark creatures because they're so well done and they're beautifully portrayed um i mean even if you haven't seen Pan's labyrinth i'm sure you've seen the creature with the eyes in his hands um that was tim that makes sense why he did this project yeah so he's yeah he's he's best no i guess his his best most famous film was pacific rim back in 2013 and that's with those giant robots and like the giant monster things. Mm-hmm. And it stars Charlie Hennem, who I'm madly in love with. <laughs> but that is Guillermo del Toro, a wonderful man who I will always see his films because I love his films. The cinematographer for this is Florian Hoffmeister. <laughs> Normally we don't really share like who the cinematographer is, but... He did such a good job in this film that I felt like we should probably include his name. <laughs> Plus, his last name is Hoffmeister. That's yeah, pretty cool. who doesn't want to say that? I'm <laughs> Mr. Hoffmeister. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> um, this so film is based on the short story also written by Nick, Nick and Tosca called The Quiet Boy. And I will post the link to this in our show notes and on our uh, Instagram, Facebook stuff. Yeah. I recommend you go read it. It is different than 
the film in yeah. good ways. And uh, this was posted on the website, uh, I think it's Guernica Magazine, in January 28, 2019. And then I'll talk more about it at the end, but I did just want to mention that he also did that. And then he wrote the screen adaptation. And so this film opens with a poem or like a warning being told in the language of Ojibwe. And according to Wiki, the Wiki, (laughs) (laughs) the most trustful site that everybody uses all the time. It never lies. Never. Not once. The, I think there was a high school teacher who used to add to Wikipedia pages and students found out. So they would go in and edit things that she said or like comment on the things that she said on wiki pages. I don't know if she ever knew that that's what they were doing, but Hmm. high school children are awful. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) But anyways, according to wiki, uh, the, okay, I'm going to go ahead and just open this with none of these are in English. These names are of indigenous tribes and i don't know how to pronounce anything so we're gonna do our best but that's all we can give you be gentle but also teach us if you feel the need to yeah if you actually know like the real pronunciation please do like a voice recording and send it to us so we can know so uh quick side note since you said that the ojibwe.com i think is what it's called uh, they're trying to promote continuation of this language because a lot of indigenous languages are falling off the earth because no one is using them. Yeah, they're dying. And it talks about how, like, how to do lessons on there. And I think it offers free lessons if you choose to learn this language, which is super cool. But anyways, the Anishinaabeg are a group of culturally related indigenous peoples that were in the Great Lakes region of Canada and the United States. Uh, they include the Ojibwe, Ottawa, Potawatomi, Mississaugas, Nipissing, Algonquin peoples. The Anish- Anishinaabe speak uh, Anishabemowin languages uh, that belong to a whole other language family. But that's this is like a dialect of that. And when they made this film, they reached out to a professor named Margaret Newton, who has a PhD in literature and linguistics. She is a co-founder of a project called Ojibwe.net. That's the website I was talking about, which works to promote the language and history of Anishinaabemowin. It, the little warning at the beginning is voiced by an indigenous person named Lisa Cromarty. Her IMDb says that she is a First Nations actor born and raised in Northern Ontario. She's a member of the Wick... Okay. Wikwemekong Unceded Indian Reservation located on an island somewhere that I can't pronounce. I didn't recognize any of the other stuff that she's been in. But... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. The Anishinaabeg lived in Michigan until ugly white colonists 
were allowed to legally burn down their homes and forcibly relocate them in the 1900s. According to Ojiboy.net, there are different versions of the open, like different versions of this warning for the film that were done. Um, I think there's three. So the one that I watched on HBO, so I assume it's the one that you watched. Yep. And the one that I found most commonly referenced says, Mother Earth has been pillaged, stripped of her life's blood, a violation that has awakened the malevolent spirit, seeking the lost, the frail, and the depraved. Pray it desires not you. So right off the bat, you're like, wow, this sounds like an environmentalist movie. And then... Super welcoming. (laughs) Yeah. This is not ominous at all. Mm -mm. The final trailer that got released, the warning that was in that said, The nations have been made to suffer by those who walk with greed in their hearts. They have destroyed the land and waters. They have destroyed the stones, swimmers, the crawlers, the ones who fly, and the ones who walk. Mother Earth is a danger and knows what must be done. I think that one is super awesome. I agree. And the another one that was written for the film said, The nations are angry and wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding the servants, the prophets, the saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And then uh, there's a little note on there that says, In the Ojibwe, the servants, prophets, and saints are literally the stewards, leaders, and ones who give respect and who value the earth. These, like, none of these warnings are happy. Um, They all are pretty, pretty downer. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Big time. And it kind of does give, like, an idea of what's going to happen. But, yeah, that was just a fun little history lesson. The other thing I wanted to point out is this film is supposed to be set in Oregon. And the lore and language that they're using are from Indigenous tribes in the Great Lakes. Not saying they don't, I mean, they migrate, obviously, but I just thought that was kind of, like, a weird, like, why not just put it there? But that's just me. I don't know. They filmed it in Vancouver. I don't know why they couldn't have just kept it in Canada. I don't know why they had to put it in Oregon. So, the movie starts off with a little kid playing in a train yard while his dad is working, quote-unquote, um, <laughs> in the in a mine in, uh... Sispus Falls, Oregon. It's, and, uh... Like we said, this kind of hints at, like, some environmental stuff. Um, and a mine is, like, literally an example of humans gouging the earth. So, there yeah, you go. And, and he wasn't up to any good anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's later revealed that this is Aiden Weaver, who is age seven. And this is played by Sawyer Jones. Jones Clan. Sorry, just gotta throw it out there. Um, <laughs> he's a cute little kid. Uh, but his, he hasn't done much. His headshots are adorable. But there's one where his hair is like spiked up like Edward Colin in the movies. Uh, just like I've, It's a little weird. And not like that weird. Movies a handful times. Throws me off. Uh, his father is Frank Weaver, who is played by Scott Hayes. Um, not super well recognized for really anything previous, except for Venom, and he's also going to be a part of the newest Jurassic World Dominion. I'm so fucking Whoa. excited, dude! Coming for the person that has a tattoo of I will have a fucking full sleeve of dinosaurs on her arm. I am. Do you watch the prologue? Right? No. Um. So I've seen lately the stuff about how. 
they're bringing back the original cast. That's all I know. So the prologue itself has, it, it's just an idea. Like Andy showed this to me without I having any idea of what was going on. Like I had no idea what the fuck we were watching. The shit looks fucking real, dude. The dinosaurs look so real. So it's I, amazing. I love the original Jurassic Parks. And then I thought they did such a great job with the Jurassic World trilogy. Well, soon to be trilogy. Yeah. Um, I'm very happy with what they did. So, yeah. Speaking um, of dinosaurs, sometimes yeah. they have to wear gas masks around them. That's another one. Say that ten times. Gas mask, gas mask, gas mask, gas mask. <laughs> We're so good at this. Gas mask, gas mask, gas mask, gas mask, gas mask, gas mask, gas mask. It's easier this faster Damn. you go. There you go. Good job. Uh, so Frank Weaver. Yes. Talk about Frank Weaver here. The dad uh, who's working in these mines. Working, quote unquote. Um <laughs> <laughs> he has to wear a gas mask which right away tells you that it's not a safe place that anybody should be um and he lights a flare which i feel is a terrible idea in a mine shaft because there's a lot of gas leaks and shit like that right? in mine shafts. i was like, and I was like you're gonna you're gonna blow shit up right here bro but okay but also oh, whatever the flare my dogs did not like that <laughs> no i i guess the the light of a flare hits them differently <laughs> so they freaked out <laughs> Lucy was as chill as a button. Yeah, they weren't having it. I gotta show you a war wound that I have from Bilbo. Ridiculous. Authentic battle damage. I'm gonna open more like red more like Bilbo got really scared of bubbles and uh, bubbles. freaked the fuck out oh and my. took like a chunk out of my arm. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like probably five inches long. Well, she went up the river and not across the stream, so you're good to go. Dude. (laughs) I felt so bad. She doesn't like bubbles. She saw your um, cult of thorn, and she was like, if I just gouge it, then she's not part of the cult, and she's free. She was just trying to help. Life is fine. She's just trying to help. Okay. Well, you know how I was like, the quote-unquote working. Well, it turns out um, Dad has a meth lab down there where he's also taking a flare, which is a terrible idea. Again, right? Why are you using like flares? Blown, like, 40 Hella big gas mask, yeah. And the rest of them have, like, COVID-19 paper masks. Yeah, on. they have, like, the respirators, <laughs> and that's about it. Um, but so, yeah, so there's a meth lab down there, which he and his partners are cleaning up because the mine is going to be reopened in a few weeks. I do have to say that, like, he clearly is going on some hard times. Um, but at least he was doing it in a mine and not in his home, which is, like, a common thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, where his children live and stuff yeah. like that. Like, at least he had the decency to do that, right? <laughs> But, Go dad parenting yeah, <laughs> on that one. Yay parenting. But he... <laughs> this is just another aspect of, like, greed, which is a common theme. There's a lot of themes in this film. Um, the, like, industrial environmentalism is one of them. Uh, greed. And we'll go over why these are big themes later. Yeah. Uh, but meth is awful. Uh no one can argue that. At least once a week, I hear a meth, per- like a guy uh, tweaking out on meth, walking past the building, and like I'm always just like, "Meth, meth is a hell of a drug, guys. Don't, don't touch it. Stay away from it, please." <laughs> I mean, people fall on hard times, but maybe don't do meth if you can. Yeah, help it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and most people get into the meth game because you know they're on hard times, and it you can get a lot of money that way. Uh, 
the mine is reopening, which isn't good for, like, it's probably good for the town because it's creating jobs, but also, like, it's awful for the environment and Earth. But, yep. you know, debatable. And I'm sure, I feel like miners, I couldn't tell you for sure, but anyone working in a mine who's not, like, an engineer probably isn't making what they should be making for doing that no. job. No. <laughs> but that's neither um... here nor there. So Frank's business partner and meth partner in this is Kenny Glass. Go figure, Glass, meth. Hmm. Ooh, I actually nice. <laughs> I like it. Um, he is played by Michael Edklund. Um, he's he's been on a lot of spots on TV, like TV shows including Bates Motel, Van Helsing, uh, Winona Earp. Um, I recognize him from the Netflix movie Mr. Right, which if you haven't seen, you should watch because. It's one of my... I'm trying to think of who he is in Bates Motel. He's a random character, I think. Okay, that would make more sense why he's not so, like, standout-ish. I mean, I haven't seen all of Bates Motel, so, like, don't quote me, but I feel like he was only listed on, like, one or two episodes. Go look. And then correct me. <laughs> I'm working on it right now. Don't you worry. These Google hands are quick. Let's see. Bates Motel, right there. Her Google machine operators. Um, Let's see, he's been in eight episodes of Bates Motel. He plays Zane Morgan. I don't know who that is. I'm trying to think of who that is. It doesn't, I don't, I can't put a face to the name at the point. I wonder if but... he's one of the the farmers. He could be. That's Mount very possible. Mary, oh, there Mary he is. I, I can't put his, like, I can't put his face as an actual, like, Usually it's that I can, character. I see their faces, but I can't think of anything that they're in. I'm like, wow, you are totally recognizable, but I don't know anything that you're in. Which will happen. If they make him, I'm wondering if they just make him look a lot dirtier than he looks in this photo, and that's why I can't like tell or something. So they did but, their jobs. Yeah, you yeah, know, I did a great yeah. job. So yeah, there you go. Anywho. Uh, the two started hearing some weird sounds coming deep within the mine. So, of course, naturally, they investigate by wandering deeper into the mine instead of going, fuck that. I'm out. My kid's out there. We should go. Yeah, um, no, they didn't do that. Great idea. <laughs> so they wander deeper into the mines where they find a hanging totem of, like, satchels, um, which are, like, little witch bags, um, hex bags. Maybe the... think of, like, Blair Witch. Yeah, kind of, like, with all this stuff hanging out yeah. uh, down from the trees. Um, but that's when they get attacked by some beastly thing that you don't see. Uh, well, you see, like, a little like outline. Yeah, left poor guy. And he's, he's such a cute little kid, and his dad's like, just stay in the car. And he's like, okay. And then he wanders to the, like, entrance of the mine, and you're like, this poor child. Like, Yeah, the kid wanders down there, and that's, like, all you see. But, um, yeah. yeah, I know seven-year-old that I know would sit quietly in a truck and just hang out. No, not like that. I just wait. So cut to a uh, cut scene to three weeks later where in, you're in an elementary school with a, and, and there's a teacher that's just having a nasty time adapting to her new job. Um, it gives, you can tell she's, you can tell she's struggling. Yeah, it gives subtle hints that she is battling alcoholism, which mm -hmm. is another theme like addiction and trauma. Yeah. If it, it fits in with the meth kind of situation too. Yeah. So Carrie Russell is uh, 
who plays the teacher. Her name is Julia Meadows in the show or in the movie. And I love Carrie Russell. I don't know about you, but like that was part I... of like another big pull that pull to me in this movie. I think she's wonderful. So she is really talented. But when I went back and looked at what she's been in, I feel like I feel like she wasn't in as much stuff as I thought she was in. You know, I felt the same way. Um, To me, she was far more recognizable. But then when I went through the list, I was like, the only thing that I really recognize her from is August Rush and The Waitress. (laughs) So it was weird to me. I thought she'd been in way more. I think I think what really pulled me was um, I knew her from Boy Meets World. I know that's really weird, but I actually do remember her in Boy Meets World. Um, but yeah, she, I mean, she was in Clerks, um, but she never really did like any of like the, like any horror movies really or scary things like that. She was so good in it. I felt like I'd seen her in one before. That's what threw me off. That's what I know her best from. Scrubs. Duh. I'm so dumb. I know her Scrubs. She plays Melody. I know this. She plays Elliot's best friend. Uh, I only watch Scrubs like a thousand times through each fucking season besides the last one because it doesn't count and nobody cares about it. Yeah, we pretend that doesn't exist. Yeah, it just doesn't exist. Apparently she's in the new... Oh, she's she's in Star Wars Rise of Skywalker too. I totally knew this. So, yeah, she's in a bunch of stuff. I love Carrie Russell. So, Mrs. Meadows is sister to the sheriff, Paul Meadows, um, who slightly reminds me of Paul Blart Mall Cop. Am I wrong? His mustache. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't look like he it should have a so mustache. Bad. No, it was so bad. Like it doesn't look uh, bad. It just doesn't fit his face. No, it really doesn't. But but also, uh, real quick, he. Uh, never mind. Keep going. I'll fill it in later. <laughs> so Paul Meadows is played by Jesse Plemons. Uh, he had a small, small, small. He had a small role. Small he had a small. <laughs> He had a small role in Sabrina the Teenage Witch back in the day. Um, he has also acted in Black Mass, The Hostels, uh, which Scott Cooper directed. So, I mean, hey, there's a little piece of him in there. So what I was going to say is the look that he has in this film is the exact same look that he has in the Disney movie Jungle Cruise, where he plays Still need to watch it. a Nazi villain. And <laughs> so I could not not see him and not hear his nazi villain that's, german accent that's hilarious okay i could totally understand that and i need to go really, watch if that he had movie. shaved it would have been different but he has the mustache and everything i was like <laughs> i can't it's weird like, boy come on uh so she she clearly has some fi- childhood traumas and you get little flashes throughout the flip the film throughout <laughs> the film <laughs> we're so good at this right now uh, and you don't get like the exact full story in a row, but you get pieces that really just connect every little piece. Connect the dots right there. I have some thoughts about it, but I, I'll save those for later. Yeah. Um, in her class, there's a kid named Lucas who is age 12 and he, you can kind of tell, but he's definitely the older brother of that little boy in the mine that was, that was with his dad. Lucas is played by Jeremy Thomas, who is 15. Um, he didn't look 15 in this movie. I'm going to tell you that right he now. He looks like he's eight. <laughs> yeah, he looks he's so tiny. young and like sickly. They make him look very sickly. I, I couldn't find anywhere where he actually talked about his role or how they prepped him for his role. Um, I'm hoping it... I'm thinking it was all CGI and makeup, just so everyone knows. I don't think they actually starved a kid to do this role (laughs) 
like they can't imagine they would who drop you know 75 pounds for parts but yeah, yeah and if you look at like normal photos of him he is he is a slightly he's, he's a little he's little he's he is scrawny little. and he's tiny yeah but he's not emaciated like they made him look in the film no but apparently he's plays a kid that you can really <laughs> make he, look scrawny and ragged did such a great job though he um, really did act like acting traumatized and mm-hmm. yeah he did a good job um quick question uh, did you think it was it was kind of weird that the students left their backpacks outside listen i don't get it they were like because they were outside was so confused their backpacks are all lined up on the wall like, A, you live in Oregon where it rains 99% of the time, so now your shit's just wet and moldy and musty. And why can't you bring it into the school and, like, put it up? I don't know. That, but, like, that, like, also, if you bring people? a home lunch, like, you got bears and shit in that area for sure. I'm like, if you live in Oregon and that's normal for you, hit, hit us up because I need to know yeah. why. I want to know. I'm so curious. Like, is that a safety precaution? Are they just not letting kids? But then, like, the poor kid gets bullied because it's people go through their backpacks yeah <laughs> nobody does anything i i thought that was so weird and odd i even looked at i looked at everybody because i was watching this with a bunch of my friends and i was like why 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 are they out have you ever left your backpack outside of school like did you do this because i never did this <laughs> it's really weird i mean granted it's like a smaller community because um, they lump grades together but it was weird i don't know if it's anybody has if anyone has an explanation, please let us know. We are those, so curious. One of those things where I was watching the movie and I just got really hung up on it. So, while walking home from school, Lucas kills a skunk for dinner. He just sees one. He's like, I'm going to kill this. Take it home and cook it up for dinner. By the way. Uh, or at least that's what you think. He's walking and there's like a shit ton of rocks. And then he just happens to find a perfectly round singular rock that he picks up that looks just like my Google Home speaker. My Google Home speaker. I was I was just saying it's like one of those little rocks that Tia Dalma licks in Pirates of the Caribbean that turns into a crab. It's a crab rock. Oh, that's <laughs> why there was one singular, perfectly round big rock. Exactly. Just sat there. Okay. Uh, so in his home, there's a door that is incredibly heavily locked, and it makes it him like super nervous to open. Obviously, he's scared of it. There's a satchel that hangs on over the door. There's satchels hanging in the window, um, and obviously, it's it's very obvious that he's living without his father's help. There's do when you, do you think he went and grabbed the satchels from the mine, or do you think the dad brought them? Like that was one thing I, that I didn't understand. I think. I think with the way that the dad, when when you when you get to the later bits of the movie and see the more description, I think the dad did it. I think he prepped and was like, "Obviously, we need this," or "I think this could help." Brings it back because he's also the one that put all the locks on the door. Yeah, I was just so that was one thing where I was like, "How would the kid know?" (laughs) Yeah, I think it. I think it was the dad. I really do. Not that he even like really knew what they were to begin with, but. He was just like, listen, no. these were there, so we'll just take them. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of the beginning. Uh, this and the teacher, where I personally, I'm just going to go on my soapbox real quick. You Welcome to my this. TED Talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> Izzy's TED Talk in, in bright lights. There is so much unneeded and like wasted mystery in this film. And yeah. the more I researched, I know 
what happened and I'll talk about it at the end. But I just wanted to say that it like drove me fucking nuts because of course we know that his dad and his brother are behind the door. Like, obviously you didn't need to waste time doing flashbacks to show me that they're back there. We know we're not dumb. We get it. That's where they are. And then the like Mrs. Meadows childhood trauma Grown women in movies that go home and have trauma, you automatically know and assume they were sexually abused at home. Like, you don't need to keep showing it in films. That's our first assumption. It's been done. Yeah. Don't waste time doing multiple flashbacks to that. Like, later they go more into detail about what kind of abuse and how extreme it was. Because it, it really just was there to create conflict between her and her brother and show how ugly this town is become. But I didn't need all the references. Like, that was wasted time they could have spent on the lore and the monster that comes up. And I feel like if you're going to keep pushing the grown woman childhood trauma thing, only show it if you have something new to offer or, like, if it's something different. Like, in the Ghosts in Her Or if it's a major piece or if it's a major piece of, like, the plot. Like, yes, it lends to the overall story of what, or the commentary or whatever that Scott Cooper was trying to do, but it doesn't need to be laid in as heavily as it was. And it's not a mystery as to what happened, and they tried to, like, drag it out. (laughs) And I'm like, the second she got home and she sat down in front of a piano, and then they did, like, a flash of her dad, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. We all know what happened. That's why she's an alcoholic. Yeah. But they just, they wasted, I feel like, a lot of time on that stuff that didn't need to be emphasized as much. Yeah, that's my opinion. That's my soapbox. Um, like I said. This is the conclusion of Izzy's TED Talk. Yeah. <laughs> More of it later. Uh, episode two airing at the end of this episode. <laughs> you got it. Um, uh, so they do eventually show that the dad and the brother are behind the door and the dad looks absolutely terrible he has lost it he appears to be he appears to look like some evil demon thing he's lost a lot of, all of his hair he's, he's got like, a glowing chest he's sickly and he's skinny like and, out. <laughs> yeah actually actually yeah that's a really great way of putting it yeah um and then you see aiden the little brother and he looks fairly normal um he's comparably calm to what is going on with a dad who is freaking out and heaving and hoeing over in the corner um aiden just looks dark and sickly he just but he he's needs a bath he can (laughs) yeah he needs a bath and but he can communicate and stuff like that and he's he's relaxing and 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 he talks to lucas without a problem but uh so at school Meadows is teaching about oral tra- uh, traditions of local indigenous people and fairy tales, and she assigns them a creative writing assignment to write a common fairy tale or folk folk story. Can I just interject real quick? Uh-huh. So another soapbox. Um, <laughs> they took because she she starts talking about like the oral history of indigenous people, and then she switches to fairy tales. I was like, so are you saying that their entire belief system is a fairy tale? Because that would be like going to a church and being like, listen, can I read your book of fairy tales? <laughs> like, could you imagine how, like, insulting that would be? And I mean, a lot of people do say that about the Bible, though. I know, but 
it's you're not supposed to right like right right most people don't look at the bible and be like oh look at that book of fairy tales like we accept that it is a religion but we don't think of like indigenous people's beliefs as a religion or like we don't you know think of it that way and so it gets tied up into being called a lore mythology and stuff like that which i don't know i feel like that's kind of offensive um yeah in one of the articles i read that it was talking about the demon thing that comes up and it was like yeah a lot of western culture takes away from their belief system by like turning it into this folklore and fairy tale yeah that isn't true to one what they are their actual belief system is they they make it to scare kids into listening and stuff like that rather than like the actual beliefs behind the stories yeah so that was one thing that they did in this film they tried really hard to pay respect to the indigenous lore but mm-hmm. uh, and their beliefs but they almost kind of didn't hit the mark for me uh, but that was just one yeah. thing i wanted to bring up um their belief system is not a fairy tale it's a full-blown right. religion type experience for them so lucas comes up with a story which he shows in pictures instead of writing so he hasn't written anything down it is all in photo and then in picture form that he's been drawing and basically it was once there were three bears in a cave big bear got sick lost his job and his insides turned black one day little bear came home and big bear and baby bear were different the darkness has spread he was meaner because there was no meat the way he says it is so eerie. It is. And and sad and eerie. It's creepy. It's <laughs> As an adult, I, I, uh, much as the teacher did, you immediately go, wow, this kid has seen some shit. <laughs> yeah, this kid this kid's going through some serious problems. He's got some trauma. He needs some help. That's yeah. that's what any logical adult is thinking when they hear this story or look at the photos that he's drawn. It's upsetting. Uh, so in the short story, the movie, uh, I'm sorry, in the short story that the movie's based off, The Quiet Boy, the story, he says, is also another version of The Three Bears. And it says, there were only the wolves who lived together in a cave above a town. Big Wolf, Middle Wolf, and Little Wolf. Big Wolf was a brute. Little Wolf was timid. Middle Wolf was the peacemaker. Every day, Middle Wolf, mid- oh my gosh, every day, Middle Wolf went out and got fish for them all. But one day he came back and Big Wolf and Little Wolf had rabies. Mm. And all they wanted to do was go to town and eat people. So Middle Wolf blocked up the entrance to the cave with rocks and trapped the other two inside. Where they growled all day and night. And every day he caught fish for them, which he slipped between the rocks to sate their hunger. And every night he slept by the entrance to make sure they never got out. Yep. And and he does. I mean, you see him. You see Lucas listening to his little brother and his dad in the room and he puts on headphones and tries to ignore it and it's kind of sad it's just sad it is it's my heart breaks for lucas yeah this whole film i'm like no 12 year old should know how to do anything that you're doing um, right or like nor should they have to no and he's just like in the corner with his little flashlights doing homework and I'm like, oh my baby yeah. i'll save you <laughs> So between seeing his drawings and Lucas getting evaluated by the school nurse after bullying, um, well, getting bullied, uh, the teacher is now fully invested in him as a student and as an abusive home. 
right? He, she knows he has an abusive home. She knows. And this she's, is... she, she makes it very clear. As somebody who's been through abuse, I can see it. That's one of the other reasons they, I think, pushed her yeah. abuse story really hard. Is and, and it's true. To emphasize why she was so invested in this kid. So she takes her concerns to Ellen Booth, who's the principal of the school. And Ellen Booth is played by Amy Mag- Madigan. I almost said magic. <laughs> Amy Magic Madigan. Amy Magic Madigan. So she was in the June 1978 issue of Playboy magazine and was featured wearing only Jelly to promote her band music, Jelly. <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there was a single album called A True Story, and they described they were uh, described as a pop vocal trio. She also married Ed Harris, who is the dad and stepmom. He's in uh, CIA. CIA. Read, Vision. Read the full sentence. The CIA. Vision. Oh, the oh oh okay okay. He <laughs> yeah he I I understand now. He's in the CIA Vision in A Beautiful Mind, which is a magical movie about schizophrenia. Go figure. We talked about that earlier. Tying it all in. He's got ghosts in his head, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does. He's also in National Treasure 2, Westworld. He's been in a lot of movies, but they've also played in nine films together. He's another one where I... Like, he's super recognizable. But when I pulled up his list of movies, I was like, wow, I could have sworn you'd been in more than that. Like, I'm picturing you in other stuff that you're not in. It's really weird. My brain is confused today. Well, and I feel like we mistake certain actors to look like each other. Um, you know, he was in he's he's in radio and I that movie hits me hard every fucking time I watch it. But like he's he's a great actor and he is in a lot of stuff and some stuff I don't know, but I love his voice. I don't know why yeah. it's like No, I would I would agree. I think he's just a wonderful actor. He's always a he's cool. He's cool, man. He's cool. Uh, she was also a musical performer and character in one of the episodes of the new 2020 Penny Dreadful series. So I, I didn't, had, I didn't know about this. Yeah, I had no idea they had started another Penny Dreadful. It's called, I think the full title is Penny Dreadful Angels. I fucking City? take that back. I totally knew about this. Yeah. So it's completely different than the yeah the ser- the series that you and I are referencing, which I thought yeah. was phenomenal. Um, no Eva Green. No, so Eva Green. I have no idea if this is any good or not. I mean, the storyline seems interesting. It's another, like, detective cop show. Uh, uh, Penny is played by Bill- Natalie Dormer, whom I absolutely adore. So mm-hmm. it's she probably does a good job. But uh, Bill, my coworker uh, and, co- and host of the show, he actually watched this because he really liked Penny Dreadful, the original one. He said it was pretty good. It isn't. She doesn't compare to Eva Green, but I'm not sure how you compare to Eva Green. That woman is a fucking goddess. Which is why they had to completely rewrite a whole new story. <laughs> yeah. She, oh God, I love that woman so much. Um, I could go on for days about her, but I digress. I could do the same about Natalie Dormer. So at well, least they did that, right? Uh, she's also in Criminal Minds. She plays a character named Jane, who is a very memorable character. Uh but I didn't recognize her as that because she's much older now than she was then. Uh, but like, okay. knowing that that's what character she played, I was like, oh yeah, okay, I can see it now. <laughs> yeah, okay. 
So uh, Principal Booth goes to the house, enters, and gets mauled by the dad. Now, when you enter a house, um, and nobody and 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 the house looks a little weird, and then you see a door that is bolted with a whole bunch of shit, and has a satchel over it. I think that means don't fu- don't touch. I mean, bad idea. <laughs> to be fair, she could hear Aiden crying and being like, "Help me." And whatever. But also... Oh shit, that's right. I forgot about that. But also, the house smells like death. And like, I get that everyone wants to save a kid. But just stand outside and call the police and then let the police Yeah, like, he's, he's whimpering. He's okay. Or, I mean, that you know of. You can hear him talking. So, I mean, at least there's that, but... Yeah, and like, stand outside maybe and just be like, okay, the police are on the way. Because also, like, when you're putting yourself in danger... To, you don't know what you're doing to, you don't know what's happening. Yeah, give yourself a little backup and have some people that know what you're doing. But also, would I probably do the same thing if I heard a whimpering child? Yes, probably. <laughs> nope, nope, my ass goes, that's a, that's, that's, that's a trap, that's a fucking but trap, and I, I go the other way. <laughs> Actually, I probably wouldn't have even walked into the house, because she doesn't no. hear him whimpering until she's already in the house, so... And she announces herself. I don't make a habit of wandering into houses that doors are open. That's not my thing, especially if they smell like absolute death. Yeah. Because uh, there's been so, dead yes. animals and carcasses all through that, so... I mean... You're right, I wouldn't have gotten in that situation. Yeah, exactly! <laughs> Um, so, meanwhile, bodies start popping up in the woods, and start, uh, which starts with a mangled and uh, eaten lower half of Frank's meth partner. Uh, this was found by the ex-sheriff Warren Stokes, and uh, he is played by Graham Greene, who is also in Dances with Wolves. He's in an episode of Poltergeist The Legacy. Uh, he plays Harry Clearwater in the Twilight movie series. Um, He's in a shit ton of stuff. Those are just the things that were relevant to us. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, in an interview with Reader's Digest, they asked him, uh, you recently appeared in the film Teata, which is on Netflix and probably really great. Uh, it's one of those ones that's been on my list for a long time. Uh, but it yeah. says, it's a biopic about a Native American entertainer in the early 20th century. Is is it important to you to tell the stories of First Nations people? Because he is also from, he's also a First Nations person. Mm-hmm. And he's, his reply was not particularly, I played old Jewish men, New York police officers, French soldiers. I'm a fan of diverse casting. I hate that phrase. Graham Greene, Native actor. You don't hear people saying Denzel Washington, black actor, or Kevin Costner, white actor. Which is fair. It's not wrong. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, especially because now representation is a huge push. Like, they're really pushing for diverse rep- mm-hmm. representation. And so identifying people are very proud when they have people of color in their films because they're like look representation matters watch my film like teata that's a new one um and that's not a bad thing but i think 
we as white people assume that they like that, but they're just like, listen, I'm, I'm just working. Like, why does it have to be a big deal? If you just hired me normally, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I'm just working. Um, He's also been nominated for an Oscar and has 13, uh, 13 other wins and 11 nominations. So he's he's good at what he does. He's, he's a, a damn girl. good actor. Yeah. So another body that was found in the woods was the was the body of a foul mouthed Billy or Bully. <laughs> Billy. I wanted to say Billy Clint. I don't know why. That's okay. <laughs> um, but it was this asshole kid that was bullying uh, Lucas. His name is Clint Owens, who is played by Cody Davis. He has very small parts in the Exorcist and Van Helsing TV series. I almost said series. <laughs> uh, man, I'm good today. But. This kid is also 15 and looks much more like he's closer to the age 15 than Lucas is. Yes. And he towers like he's, over him. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, Carrie, uh, whatever her name is. She's only 5'4". Mm-hmm. Carrie um, Russell. Yeah, she's my height. And she, they, I think they did some stuff to make her look taller. In this I bet film. she was wearing some platforms. Or they just like messed with the, you know, the way they were standing. But she did not. The look, anglings. She didn't look that tiny. Yeah. You tiny. You calling me tiny? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, while all of that is going on, turns out that uh, the dad and Aiden escaped when the principal came into the house. And now they're just binge eating, running across the woods, you know what, doing what too. they when do I best. When I escape the house, that's what I do. I immediately binge eat. Binge eat. All of it. That's why you got to keep the fridge locked, right? <laughs> Half of this is just us yelling at Edna. <laughs> I know. So I ex-sheriff... Oh, I, I got it. I got it. Don't you worry. Uh, ex-sheriff Weaver is able to identify what is happening to the father by bringing out a book of local indigenous snor- snories, stories. I pulled up the script. And so this is exactly what he says. Uh, it's the Wendigo. Translates to a diabolical wickedness that devours mankind. I love the word diabolical. That's such a No, it's so good. Anyways, that devours mankind. According to legend, during a brutally cold winter, a lost hunter's severe hunger drove him to cannibalism. And after feasting on human flesh, he became crazed and transformed into an amorphous spirit that could take many forms and roamed the forest for fresh victims. His insatiable appetite was never satisfied. And then... The Paul, the sheriff, is like, oh, it's a myth. And he's like, for you, yeah, but a cautionary tale to the indigenous people who believe in it. They're elusive and known to be eternally starving. Like, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for real. <laughs> but feasting only makes them hungrier. I relate. And weaker. Yep. Yeah, me too. Uh, those who are unfortunate enough to encounter one and only kill it when it's in a weakened state. Oh, I'm sorry. They can only kill it when it's in a weakened state and Mm -hmm. only by extinguishing its beating heart, forcing it to search for another host. But it all makes sense, you see. I mean, our ancestral spirits never died. They were here long before we are and they'll be here long after we are gone. But now they're angry. I mean, he sounds hangry, you know, they're angry, they're hungry. (laughs) So I've always found the Wendigo super interesting. Uh, If you ever played the video game... Um, Dead by Dawn that is based on a Wendigo story and I always thought they were super interesting the way that they're portrayed is always different too 
there's there's so many different ways to look at it, but um, there. Uh, if I if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, and I know you've got some historical stuff coming up here in a sec. You say but, what uh, you if, think, and then we'll go from there. If I remember correctly, and this could be very wrong, and I'm excited to learn new things if it is, uh, the Wendigo is not something that has antlers and appears to be deer-like of that form. They are supposed to look somewhat of what they actually made Frank look, which was that demonic, golemy looking decreased humanesque form because again the more they feast the hungrier they're the hungrier they are the weaker they are so it's if i remember correctly that's what it is and so i i do give kudos to that part until they fuck it all up <laughs> that's your boy guillermo del toro <laughs> i know and i don't think he fucks it all up he takes it in a very interesting way for sure but like it's not the true idea of what uh, I have always known a Wendigo to be. And you're correct. What you said is... Uh, it's not necessarily that they're like still human-looking, but um, yeah, they aren't antlered. And we'll get into that as we go. I'm going to start with like the traditional Wendigo lore. And yeah. so this original source that I looked at is called Legends of America. I'm sorry if you can hear a bunch of stuff in the background. The dogs are tearing up a cardboard box. Uh, the... <laughs> Description of a Wendigo that was provided by Basil Johnston, who is a Ojibwe teacher, professor, writer. He wrote, the Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently a dis disinterred from the grave what lips it had were tattered and bloody its body was unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh giving off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption 100 percent golem i'm just saying yeah <laughs> i don't know now, <laughs> being the teacher or the, the principal that goes in there you're smelling all of this uh decay and and, and death and and you're still going i'm gonna go in there no uh, but yeah, like you said, it's, and he even says it's amorphous, so it can take on different forms. It's a spirit. Yeah. Um, but this is the general idea, like you said, Frank, what Frank and Gollum embody. So it is historically yeah. associated with cannibalism, murder, insatiable greed, and the cultural taboos against such behaviors. Known by several names, Wendigo, Wittigo, Wittico, and Weetigo. Each roughly translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind. So it's no kind of like deal. <laughs> the seven deadly sins, if you want to relate to a Christian ideal. Uh, how it's like a corruption from within. Mm -hmm. And only in this version, it literally turns them into feast, flesh-feasting monsters. Yeah. Uh, the Wendigo is... A malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being strongly associated with winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. And that is the original ideals. What I learned later is that the kind of like representation or like metaphor, I guess, of what the Wendigo represents has changed as the culture has changed. So that's kind of a cool. Uh, the Elonquian... Al sorry, Algonquian legend 
the indigenous legend, describes the creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it is thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeleton and deformed with missing lips and toes. So the idea is that this thing is so hungry that it eats its own lips and its toes. That's why it doesn't have lips. And they're tattered and bloody, by the way. Terrible. Ugh. Yes. And uh, keep in mind that in their version, it's made of ice. It has a heart of ice because it's related to Cold North, which was times when they would be starving because they don't have access to food. Um, So hence the cannibalism thing. It's another kind of like a warning story. Don't eat people because you'll turn into a monster no matter how hungry you get. And the Donner Party didn't hear that, apparently. The Ojibwa described it as a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strong hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Hmm. Um, according to the legends, a Wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism to survive. That's the traditional version. Like I said, it's like a warning tale. Um, no matter how hungry yeah. you get, don't eat your brothers and sisters. Uh, now it's kind of changed to more of like greed, a greed ideal. In the past, this occurred more often when Indians and settlers found themselves stranded in the bitter snows and ice of the North Woods. Uh, they In this site, it lists some stories of known happenings when people resorted to cannibalism and then claimed they were possessed by a Wendigo. It's okay. a super interesting read. Uh, just Google Wendigo legends and Legends of America. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, Wendigos are said to be cursed to wander the land, eternally seeking to fulfill their voracious appetite for human flesh. And if there is nothing left to eat, it starves to death. Lovely. Yeah, sounds like a way to go. Like, don't want to eat bear or chicken. I only want human flesh. Way to go, Wendigo. Ha! Ah! Sorry. Uh, there is a debatable medical term called Wendigo psychosis. Some psychiatrists consider it a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. Ironically, the psychosis occurs within people living around the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States, which is where these indigenous people originally were at. And Wendigo psychosis usually develops in the winter while individuals are isolated by heavy snows for long periods of time. I wonder if they see this as much in Alaska, because I feel like this would be super prominent in Alaska. Yeah. The initial symptoms are cited to be poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting. Uh, Subsequently, the individual becomes, I'm sorry, starts having like visions and delusions of being transformed into a Wendigo monster. And I'm sure that what happens is a lot of those times you'll find that the person felt like they had no other choice. They turned into like cannibals or they felt like they were about to. And their brain just couldn't handle that trauma and filled it in with Wendigo. (laughs) That's probably what was (laughs) happening in those situations. Okay. Uh, However, the Wendigo creature sightings are still reported. I think the last sighting that I saw was 2019. And most of them occur in northern Ontario near the cave of the Wendigo and around Kenora, where traders have supposedly seen it. 
Um, it's supposed to be, I think it's considered like the cousin of Bigfoot. Many oh. still believe that the Wendigo roams the woods and the prairies of northern Minnesota in Canada. And it is often referred to as the Wendigo capital of the world. Hmm. And I know there's a Wendigo in Supernatural, but I don't remember how yeah. they show it. But there is also a Wendigo in Charmed. And Piper gets infected, but it's nothing at all. No, like, it's very different. It's They made their own thing. They just took the name and went, wow, that's cool. So in Charmed, it's like a werewolf looking thing or like a Bigfoot looking furry beast. And according to the charmedfandom.com, here's a quick thing of what the Wendigo in their version is. It's a non-dead creature that roams the earth, destroying the good-hearted and those in love. His fate is to wander the earth, feasting on human hearts. The first Wendigo was a mortal who was betrayed by his sweetheart. The revenge for the treachery, he slew his love and ate her heart. Rather than savor the warmth of revenge, his heart was in turn turned to ice. So at least they got the ice thing. <laughs> uh, during daylight hours, in the faces of the moon, the Wendigo looks as you or I. Beware the Wendigo on the three days of the full moon when his strength and appetite are greatest. So for some reason, they were like, let's make him a werewolf, too. Yeah, Beware of being attacked and injured. He duplicates himself by slashing, but not killing his prey. So, okay. I mean, kind of, but not really. Like a cannibal, but not. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of. It is, but it really isn't. Um, another version of the Wendigo is seen in Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, And it also appears in Marvel Comics, video games, and even the cartoon My Little Pony. That sounds ridiculous. I couldn't tell you how a Wendigo relates to My Little Pony. Like, that's not a, a kid's show I want my kid watching if they have cannibalistic ponies. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's what's happening. But Never watched an episode of that thing in my life, so, like, I don't know about it. But, Listen, like, that just doesn't... It just doesn't seem like it works. I love me some My Little Pony, but, like I said, maybe there's, like, an adult version of My Little Pony where they're cannibals. <laughs> It beats, like, the porn version of My Little Pony, that's for sure. Oh, God. <laughs> that's a dark hole that we should not go down. People have too much time on their fucking hands. Uh, moving on past that disturbing image. <laughs> yeah. Backstoryradio.org, there's an article titled The Mythology and Misrepresentation of the Wendigo. And they talk about a guy named Sean Smallman who has done a lot of research on it and he notes that traditional indigenous narratives never imagined the Wendigo with antlers. Ding 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 Katie you win! What can I say? You know stuff. I do. I do know things. Uh, but when you google Wendigo it's always 99 It's always a beast with it with yeah. Yep have antlers. Even even in uh, Netflix's um, what is it the ruin the the ritual the ritual, yeah, the that's ritual. That's not a Wendigo. That's different. Is it not? No, we're, I'm actually going to talk about that at the end. Um, okay, but it's not meant to be a Wendigo. Okay, okay. Now I'm curious. Uh, in addition to inaccurate imagery, so the antlers and shit, popular okay. depictions of the Wendigo as a ravenous animal have also displaced the original emphasis that Indigenous people place on the Wendigo as a lesson on human greed. Again, they like took it. People take their Great. belief system and turned it into like this cool myth. Fairy tales and, yeah. and lore when it's what people look at the Bible as. And uh, as you said, it's transformed from cannibalism because that's not necessarily a thing nowadays. 
um, that's likely to happen to just right. human greed in general. These narratives also fail to acknowledge that the Wendigo and the indigenous cultures I imagined it have evolved over time. Uh, he also notes that current images separate it from Aboriginal culture in that there is little, this is a quotation, quotation, by the way, there is little meaningful discussion of native beliefs. Instead, Aboriginal peoples are often associated with a simplified version of the past in which discussions of colonialism are avoided. Uh, basically, that's what happened in this film. They took 30 seconds to explain any sort of indigenous lore aspect of this, and that was it. <laughs> Yep. But among many native peoples, the Wendigo remains a warning against greed, but now they associate it with the uh, excesses of capitalism and colonialism rather than the wilderness or barren winters, um, which is what happens throughout this film. You've got greed with drug, money, and running, and opening the mines, and all that sort of shit. Indigenous authors' depictions of the Wendigo tend to offer hope in what seems to be such a desperate moment. They often have happy endings involving characters who escape the Wendigo against all odds, while in Western interpretations, the Wendigo has so much power that the spirit person decimates all in its path. Huh. Which kind of happens in this film, I guess. And then I looked up the medicine bag thing real quick. Um, I did not do a whole bunch of research into this because... I, uh, the medicine bag itself has been kind of culturally appropriated into a yeah. lot of other ways, and I didn't want to accidentally reference something that's incorrect. So this is the most generic, authentic description of it I could find. Uh, the medicine bag is considered a very precious possession representing a person's spiritual life. Oh, I also forgot to reference this. I pulled it from an article written by someone who did research on indigenous people culture. <laughs> uh, and its contents are generally regarded as holy by the tribal community. Its contents are meant to be kept secret by the owner. The bundle should never touch the ground, which is why the bundles are to be securely wrapped and why they're like hanging in this film. Prayers and rituals usually accompany the manufacture and opening of medicine bundles. From what I read, based off this version, they aren't necessarily like totems you hang uh, just to cover an entrance they're like personal protections um not saying that there aren't versions where that is how that works but i couldn't find anything about that specifically but that's Good all, no that's all i got from that and then just to round out uh, the windigo because that's all the research i did so if you have other stuff cool but uh, so when Lucas finally, and the teacher, I guess, finally meet the Wendigo, it has, like, the skinned-off face of Frank. I think it's Which Frank. Which is super cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. It's super cool, too. It's so fucking cool. Because, like Katie said, they make it look like this antler skeleton demon face thing. And yeah. uh, it's just wearing the face. And it's so badass. That was my favorite yeah. part of this whole movie. I agree. It was so cool. But they also made it look like some wild lava monster uh, which is the complete opposite of an ice monster thing spirit <laughs> it looks a lot like the lord of the rings demon that like hauls gandalf down yeah kind of um so guillermo thought like he's he was the one who came up with the idea for this wendigo beast image 
And he thought that if they are taking it from the angle of, like, it's this murderous spirit doing a whole bunch of shit, then it's coming from the center of the earth, hence it coming from the mines. And it's coming from the crust, the ore, it's ember. And that's why the Wendigo, in their version, looks like a lava, like a crusted over lava thing. And he, like, coughs soot and he has, like, Mm -hmm. the red beating heart. Interesting. So that's their their vision for that. Hmm. And I guess at some point, something I noticed is it also has people foots at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah, footprints and stuff. Because when it like bursts out of Frank, they track the people feet. But then when you see it in the mine, it has like hoovy things. So maybe he like his his feet were just late at the they were just late growers. He, I was gonna say, did it like change as he went, or did he like also steal his people feet and put them on like shoes? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They'll never catch me, human feet. Um. So after bodies start popping up, Lucius goes home with the teacher. Obviously, um, the escaped Wendigo ends up attacking the sheriff and his deputy. And Lucas follows the spirit back to the mines trying to save his brother. Um, of course. <laughs> of course. But the teacher is also able to cut out the heart of uh, of of the Wendigo. And with obviously the help of Lucas. But then unfortunately as they say in the lore it it transfers and finds a new host and so that's when Aiden starts to turn and that was a really sad part <laughs> um so she just like turns around and cuts out his heart immediately and I'm like Lucas is gonna need so much therapy I do just way too much therapy because um and Aiden was the only one that he cared about um yeah and he he was trying really hard to help him and like make him better but and right up until then like Katie said earlier Aiden didn't look possessed or infected he was he had he had the graying skin but and like the the hunger but that was about it he could talk normally he he wasn't vicious by any means he was just pale and gray (laughs) and sickly looking but yeah there's like a little twist at the end that i don't want to give away also yeah Um, exactly so we're gonna leave it there but so that's what you get yeah, don't throw a fit. Or do, I won't hear it. I don't think we'll hear it anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> so, really quick, uh, I'm going to run through the story of the short story. Just to give you an idea of like how they differ. Okay. And again, I'll, I'm going to post the link for this because I think everyone should go read it. It's like a 15-20 minute read. It's really good. Uh, yeah, it's really quick. Short story, The Quiet Boy by Nick and Tosca. A 23-year-old female teacher was sent to a little town Excuse me, I have the hiccups, sorry. by Teach for America that was located near a dead railroad station in Rexford, West Virginia. She does assign a creative writing assignment where they have to write a fable, a tall tale or a fairy tale. Uh, I read that to you earlier. The story is told from the perspective of the teacher. She describes nine-year-old Lucas, who is even younger, as frail and extremely poor-looking, which they hit on the head in the movie he doesn't have the nose <laughs> yes he does end up illustrating his story instead of writing it 
Uh, there's a conversation about his family where he says he has a brother named Todd, so not Eden, who is homeschooled by his father. They did keep the name Frank. After reading the story, she goes to his house and finds that he has been living in a tent in the backyard. She sees Todd's figure through the boarded up windows and he's like making these sad, helpless crying sounds, just like what the poor principal heard. She broke down the door and went inside. It smells rotten. And then she like turns the corner and on a table in the living room, she sees a pentagram with markings that looked like goat's eyes at each point is how it's described. And in the room past that, she sees the two corpses of Frank and Todd. She gets out of the house after she, like, hears whispering in her ears that's like, take a step further. And she and it, she constantly describes, like, when she walks into the house, she can just feel, like, the weight of a malevolent spirit. And as she leaves, calls the sheriff. And the sheriff postulates that Frank had fed Todd rat poison and then killed himself. Because it was, like, laying about the house. She asks about the figures she saw, and they say they looked everywhere except the basement because it's locked and they can't find the key. Because when she was looking through the window, she could see, like, shadowy figures running around. Um, which, they're like, oh yeah, there's nobody here. But also, we haven't even searched the whole house. So, yeah, good times. Kind of like in, uh, what was that? Black Christmas. We were like, why didn't yeah. they look uh, through the house? And they left her there? But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Lucas comes home at that point and sees that the bodies are being taken out by the coroners and he starts freaking out. The teacher takes him home for the weekend while they try and figure out what to do with him. Lucas then reveals that the demons were trapped in the house as long as the bodies were still in it. And all he says is he trapped them in the house. And then you get the idea that there's like some satanic pentagram thing happening. Uh, so the evil in the short story is different. The beasts show up at the cottage where Lucas and the teacher are. There's some death. And then I don't want to give away the ending because it's actually a really fucking good ending. Uh, so go read it. Yeah. But it does end Do it. very differently than the movie. Um, I like, I honestly like the Wendigo idea more than I like the pentagram thing. Just because I think we're all kind of sick of like the satanic pentagram being overdone just been so overdone but it is a great short story i have to admit it's creepy i liked it so yeah go read it check it out tell us what you think so as always when we go through a movie we talk about the graveyard and we go through how people were killed and in the uh the order they were killed considering it's like some insatiable beast it's a relatively small graveyard yeah it's kind of small it's and, and and it happens throughout a couple of different days, so that's a little surprising, too. But I guess it is but, supposed to be, like, an isolated small town. Yeah, was, yeah so. and they are trapped in the house for the majority of it for a while. But So, Graveyard starts off with Kenny being eaten by, uh, by Frank while he's possessed by the Wendigo. Ellen Booth is then mauled by Frank and po- as, um, as possessed by the Wendigo. Uh, Frank's possessed... Frank himself is torn apart by the possessed spirit which was i thought was kind of a really cool scene so uh, until you see the antlers but like i want to hear your opinion so this confused me so is it like he had to eat a certain amount of human flesh before he fully windigoed out or was the like i didn't quite get that because he like slowly is transforming because he's infected or whatever is the word i'm gonna use possessed infected whatever 
And you can see him getting worse and worse. He is the one who killed Kenny. Um, so that was like his first taste of human flesh blood stuff. Um, and then, but then after that, he didn't have any more because he trapped himself. And he was eating animal meat. Exactly. So I'm. So the, that's why I'm like, do you have to eat like a certain amount of, of people? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't answer that one for you. I actually don't people have an answer. It, I guess is what I'll call it. Uh, if you know more about this, about this, the Wendigo lore and the and the, they and don't the stories really say behind it, how I, I, they yeah. get infected or transformed? Because um, like yeah. you said, it's like an amorphous spirit. Usually, it's just the person is demonic, spiritual yeah. itself. It's not necessarily that it turns into a totally different yeah thing. so that's yeah. the only thing I that know. i thought was super fucking weird um like you said it was super cool the way it like bursts out of his chest and then I he's thought left that was to a, be like a yeah. up corpse and then they steals his face which is kind of cool but which also i don't know how it stole its face if it was when like, it ripped in half yeah which makes me kind of wonder if it maybe was frank's face not frank uh his friend kenny kenny's face maybe i don't know i didn't look yeah. that maybe it was the deputy's face because he'd killed the deputy right before he went after the sheriff, and that's when you see it, right? But didn't he toss the deputy and then like run out? Maybe he took him with him. I don't know. Good point. I don't know. Uh, there's so many. There's so many possibilities. We don't know whose face he's wearing, but he's wearing a face. And find out. But I'm not going to do that right now. So if you guys rewatch it and you know whose face he's wearing, if you notice and you can tell it, and when you're watching this, let us know, please. We'd we'd love to know. But still, so that part, I was, I was so, like, so did you just have to eat like ten pounds of? People sushi before you. <laughs> People sushi. Ew. You, are, you know you are what you eat. Ew. Ew. <laughs> so Frank is torn apart. He's officially dead. The I almost said the Guillermo. The the window goes out. The Guillermo. Uh, the Guillermo's out. Uh, then Clint, the little little bully shithead, um, he is killed by the window. Uh, once Frank and. The, and, and Aiden are released and the, the Wendigo has jumped out of Frank's body. Uh, Dan, the deputy, is the next one to die. He is stabbed by the Wendigo's antlers, horns, uh, whatever you want to call it. He's stabbed by them. It's very interesting. Then, of course, the Wendigo form himself gets killed. His um, The teacher stabs his heart and cuts his heart out, which then transfers over to Aiden, who becomes the Wendigo and she does that really quickly before he can do anything because she he's in a weakened state at that point so she's able to kill him easier but it was really sad because it was still right in front of Lucas so also it was very brave of her to just stick her neck right in front of his mouth like that yeah 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 other characters that were not discussed but are a part of this movie is Rory Co-Shrine? Cochran. Is that how you Cochran? Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, he plays the deputy. He's also uh, the father in Oculus. He's in Cooper's uh, Hostiles. Or, um, yeah, his film, his film Hostiles and The Black Mass. And he's currently filming something called The Boston Strangler. True crime. Dun, dun, dun. Woot, woot. I do I love my true like crime. I don't know if it's like a legitimate documentary type thing or if they're doing like a Jack the Ripper type movie. Huh. And then, of course, the body of the Wendigo himself, the man that played the creature, 
They title it uh, the Antlered Man, by the way. See, there you go. In the credits, yeah, it is. It is called Antlers after all. They're they're making it a very big hit on the antler situation, which. It looks like a big like, weird tree in my head. They but. put a lot of work into staying the creature true that to the Wendigo and the indigenous lore. Like he Scott Cooper was like, I really wanted to make sure that we did it right. And then they went ahead and made it look different, which is cool, like do your own thing. And then they called it antlers, and then they called him the antlered man. Like, which is he? Make up your mind. Yeah. His antlers um, aren't even that cool. They're like weird. He looks he looks like a broken tree. He looks like a tree that's been electrocuted and it has like broken limbs. That's what I feel like he looks like. Um and he also uses them to kill people. But he so the antlered man is played by Dorian Kinji. He is a stuntman and actor that's been in a lot of stuff, including the Lost World Jurassic Park. Double Dragon, Star Trek, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Paranormal Activity 4, Captain America Winter Soldier, The Conjuring 2, Bird Box, and The Magicians. <sighs> He's in a shit ton of more stuff. That's just the stuff I like. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Those those are that. The Antlered Man. That's so weird. I know. I didn't like it. Like, you uh, literally yeah. called it the Wendigo. Why would you title it the Antlered Man? Yeah. The Wendigo was done by Legacy FX, and you can uh, visit their website at LegacyFX.com, which was founded by John Rosengrant, who is the co-founder and owner. Uh, he's done filmography stuff for The Mandalorian, Jurassic World, The Revenant, and Avatar. Shane Pete. The ones that are listed are just like their favorite ones that are super yeah. popular, by the way. They've done, like, literally A go lot. look at their stuff. They've done all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shane P. Mon. He is also the co-founder slash owner. Um, there, there are four of them, I should say. His selected filmography is The Suicide Squad, Avengers Endgame, Shape of Water, another Guillermo del Toro movie, and Game of Thrones. No. That's what I thought. G- G-O-D- GOTGV2. I have no idea what that is. You Google that. I'll do the next one. I'm working on it. Um, Alan Scott, J. Allen Scott, co-founder and owner. His selected filmography Uh-oh. includes True Adventures of Wolf Boy, Tales from the Loop, Underwater, and Shutter Island. GOTG, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Oh, that I makes so much sense. I wouldn't have put that together because when you say GOT, everyone automatically goes to Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's and then I was like, wait, G, what the fuck? I was like, Game of Thrones, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding uh Lindsay mcgowan she's done bios avengers infinity war captain marvel alice in wonderland um alice in wonderland they've done all the good stuff like yeah they're good at their jobs they are yes. damn good at what they do shane mahan at legacy effects who was the creature's effects supervisor he used a costume animatronic hybrid of techniques which has also been used on like avatar jurassic park and terminator they okay. also supplemented this animatronic thing with cgi uh in a lot of places also it's like a combination makes sense um and then just some random stuff from the movie that i we googled because that's what we do well, they threw some random stuff out at you where you're just like, wait, what? What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Yeah, it's mm, it's a mishmash. Uh, so 
there's a line where Lucas is talking to Aiden and he says, remember something along the lines of like, mom said we were born under the lucky star. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Apparently it's like a very common idiom that is said. I've never heard it before. Uh, No, I haven't. But I did find something that said, it's like in astrology, Jupiter is the lucky star. And Hmm. uh, basically this idiom just is saying that someone is continuously lucky, like throughout your lifetime. But your Jupiter, this is what the website says, your Jupiter shows the way to prosperity, growth, and all things epic. That's what it says, quote. If Mm. Jupiter rules your chart, uh, or your son, you were born under the lucky star. Jupiter's sign is Sagittarius. Oh! 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 That would be Mackenzie. Izzy is a Sagittarius. (laughs) The sign of optimism, faith, and prospering from risks others wouldn't dare take. The minute I saw Sagittarius, I was like, oh, so they're talking about you. So you were born under a lucky star. I could not say that I am optimistic. Um, I have (laughs) little faith. (laughs) And... I don't know if I've taken any other risks, but. Well. You Sagittarius, you. <laughs> um, and then Katie, being the brilliant Katie she is. Well, we got we got curious. So another thing that they were doing is one of the random times they were in a classroom, they were watching a movie. And we were like, what movie are they watching? Because we always watch movies in classes. We always... I mean, I got to watch Lord of the Rings in a class once. I don't know about you, but like, that was pretty fun. I think we watched the cartoon Hobbit, but that was it. Nice. So Izzy and I decided to figure out what movie they were watching. And so I went back and I turned on subtitles to figure out what they were saying. And they had names with the subtitles, which made it so easy to search for this movie. Oh, did it? <laughs> yes, it literally had the names of people that were speaking in the movie. So it said, oh, it said, um, Othello, Amelia, things like that. And so I was like, okay, let's just search these things. And it came back to being Shakespeare's Othello, which is a tragic play. Go figure. It's Shakespeare. Almost everything's tragic with Shakespeare. Um, No, he's got a lot of comedies, too. He's just really good at tragedies. He's he's really good at tragic. Uh, But yeah, so we found out it was they were watching Othello. Uh, You don't get to see the actual movie itself, so you don't know if it's the 1995 version i assume it is because i don't i didn't see any other othellos that were made did you yeah 52 version and a 1995 version i wonder if it was the 52 version because it sounded really old it sounded like a black and white 1952 version yeah um but it does make sense since she is a literature teacher i I kind of wish they had picked a different film. I don't know why, but I've I've read, I haven't read Shakespeare's Othello. Um, I probably couldn't understand it even if I tried, but I didn't see a direct parallel between Othello playing and what they were doing in the movie, uh, which I like when they do stuff like that. Um, I can't remember what other... Um, So, Othello is this guy who marries this woman named Desdemona, which is an awesome name. mm -hmm. Um, But nobody's really happy about it. And somebody named Iago comes up with a plan to fuck them over. And everyone falls for it. Othello ends up killing Desdemona because of it. 
and then feels so bad about it he kills himself. And according to whatever random website I just found, the message of it is that uncontrolled doubt only brings ruin, death, alienation, and separation. Hmm. So I don't know. That's probably wrong. I'm sure someone... Maybe they were trying to tie it in somehow. We didn't figure that out. What a weird story and play for a 12-year-old. That's sixth grade. Those are the little things. Maybe it's that, just that we it's just what they had on hand. <laughs> yeah, they were like, uh, "What can we get for free? What can we get the rights to that are free?" Eh, like, oh, fuck it. Here's Othello. Okay. Uh, final thoughts. Um, an article on Inverse.com wrote what I was feeling the best, but I didn't know how to say. Um, so this film has a sense of. This is a quote. Communal grief and familial trauma. Though the mythology of the Wendigo is scarcely explored outside of one expository scene with First Nations actor Graham Greene. That's exactly how I felt. Like before when I was just raging on how much time they wasted talking about all these weird flashbacks that were totally unnecessary. uh, They should have put more time into the lore. And then they took 30 seconds of him reading from a book. That was it. There wasn't some cool research montage, which I'm not saying. I was going to say, I think it would have been cool if they had done like a a, a, a flashback of like the the lore, like the yes, story itself. That, that would have so been a true. cool flashback. That would have made sense. Like the flashback of the dude wandering through the snow, getting the, the soldier, and... the lone soldier that ended up killing yes. a bunch of people and eating them. Yeah, that would have made more sense to have. That would have kind of maybe um, put it in your head and stuck a little bit more than than what you, you're given. Yeah, they um, they kind of missed. To my opinion, they spent too much time on something they shouldn't have. But I agree. In an interview with director Scott Cooper, he explains why. <laughs> I think that I felt that way, and you felt that way. Uh, to start, he says that he did get permission from the indigenous community to use the lore of the Wendigo. They hired Grace L. Dillon, a professor in the Indigenous Nation Studies program at Portland State University to be their, like, advisor. And I think she's also the one who reached out and got uh, the voice, the people for the voice or whatever. That would make sense. For the beginning. Uh, But they kind of created the creature based off what she said, very loosely, I assume. (laughs) Yeah. In, he said, and this is a quote from Cooper, in the end, it's upon his being the ex-sheriff and the only indigenous person in the film in his 30 seconds shoulders to help inform us as to what this really means which is why they should have featured it more um yep he is telling a bunch of white people who like we said think of it as like some fairy tale story fairy tale yeah and he gets 30 seconds to say hey this is what this says this book and they just walk away and they're like all right cool i understand it completely (laughs) yeah Uh, but um he says I guess, oh, he said that there's a longer version that had more to do with the indigenous aspect of the film, but it got cut down for viewing. And I'm interested to know how much actually got cut out that was good for that. Um, But one of Cooper's main goals was to stress the comment on American life. So... 
Another quote, he says, it means so much throughout the fabric of the story, generational trauma, familial abuse, addiction, desecration of the earth, all these things that sound almost high-minded. I don't know what high-minded means, I'm not going to lie. Um, but he says, but when you're telling the horrors of what it means to be an American today and not just straight horror with the Wendigo, it's a tall task. Something they also could have touched on that they didn't, racism. If you're going to take other people's lure. Yeah, man. Um, and how they got wiped out of that area. Include it. I don't know. But yeah, his main story plot was on abuse and addiction, which you can see heavily yeah. throughout the film. And then they just randomly switch it. And all of a sudden it's like, Wendigo eats people and then he's dead. Um. And here is your monster. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they did. It's kind of really weird. And then he even admits, he says his ideas about the commentary kind of conflicted with Guillermo del Toro's, who is, you know, all about the monster. And he says he is more monster and horror focused, while Cooper was more commentary driven. They kind of clashed on screen. As Cooper says, you take my sensibilities and Guillermo del Toro's and they're incredibly different. It's a miracle that any of it works, quite frankly. I mean, it kind of worked, but... The filmmaker speaks highly of Del Toro. It's not like he was arguing with him on set or anything. He was like, I really like him. But at the yeah. end of the day, we... What the we, ideas for the movie clashed. They didn't work. What we wanted didn't work. It, honestly, it probably would have worked. He could have kept all his bullshit flashbacks um if they were allowed to make a longer film i'm sure what he yeah. had to cut out made more sense um and then he's he even admits he's like this is my first horror project and when you're making a film and you're selling it as a horror film they want more horror and he wasn't really prepared for that uh his was right. more you know family drama type stuff mm -hmm. his he's quoted as saying they want more guillermo del toro and less scott cooper and i'm like fair enough. sadly it's true though the minute you see Guillermo del Toro on a fucking listing, you're like, this thing's going to have a dope-ass monster or creature of some sort. It's going to have really cool fantasy themes or, like, horror aspects of it. And so you expect that when you see his name on any sort of work. Well, and they could have kept both ideas, right? Yeah. The Wendigo is based off greed, and he is making this commentary about all of that. And okay. the stuff about the mine and the city falling to shit makes sense but he just spent yeah. too much time on the wrong things and not enough time introducing why the wendigo is even important and why it's there right um and then he literally is just like okay we could kill it and she walks up and kills it super easy like <laughs> yeah what <laughs> and it's dead yep oh Here, cool. here's your monster and it's dead yep uh, something he mentions that I didn't pick up on until I, he read it was that Paul, the sheriff, also had an addiction because he has he has this 15 second scene where he freaks out because he can't find his medications. And I guess he's supposed to have kind of like an opioid addiction is what's supposed to be there. So everyone in this town is just fucked up. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, where are the cats throwing around now? Oh, I'm sorry. My dog is chewing on probably something he should have be it's it just sounded like they were like throwing a cup around or something he's licking the yogurt remnants in this film there's alcohol methamphetamine use opioid abuse child abuse earth murder no cannibalism really except for i mean I until mean, he's been possessed but yeah then it's the spirit it's not really him so you know 
Um, yeah. Final thoughts. I'd watch it. Like, it's entertaining. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. But I think it is kind of like two movies smashed together. Um, I want more of the, the lore and indigenous part. I think that part, like you said, if they had shown that kind of dark, creepy shit, oh, that would have been so good. Yeah. Uh, we had a listener review. So he, this is somebody that I, I know, and I talk to almost on a daily basis. He's a listener of my, my, uh, my, my radio show. He gives antlers a three out of four skulls for the horror. uh, He even sent emoji skulls. I fucking love it. He did. It was great. (laughs) Uh, This comes from JJ, just so everybody knows. He's, he's literally uh, uh, Jim Johns, by the way. (laughs) He says, the story has been said before, of course, Wendigo. But the Native American folklore is great, which we had more than a quick scene. The backstory for the character is sad, disturbing, and the dad's uh, dad in this is creepy and really makes you feel the reason. Really makes you make you feel the reason why Carrie Russell always is so stone faced the whole time. (laughs) And she is. She's very, very cold this entire movie. The town and the scenes really make you feel the despair. Feels like you're in an island and can't escape what's happening. I wish they made the town more frenzied with the deaths. I would agree with that. A little boy, a 12-year-old boy is killed, and they're like, nah, fuck it. Yeah, you don't see anything outside of, <laughs> no. like, Carrie and Lucas. The storyline is uh, was a bit fast, but the actors really keep you invested. The fact we see the mytho- mythological being a couple of times take takes away a little bit from the anticipation of seeing it, but the monster was great. Again, more storyline of what and why. The kid was a great actor, and Carrie Russell looks scary, and I wouldn't want to piss her off. I liked the ending, and I know some didn't, but it's lore. The scenes, dark tones, history, death, and storyline make it a great horror. Thank you, sir, for that. Um, I feel validated that he agreed with a lot of the stuff that we just said. <laughs> um, he he has a very understanding look at things, and we've had a lot of uh, conversations about these kinds of stuff. So I also, because we didn't tell you what happens at the end um i also like the way it ended it was a it was a different idea but yeah i I agree oh wait i'm sorry did you have anything to add to this one no no okay i i went into it kind of blind not knowing what i knew it was going to be about a wendigo because my girlfriend shelby was like it's about a wendigo i want to see this and i was like okay and that's kind of all i had yeah see i saw antlers did not think wendigo (laughs) Fuck me, right? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I think it's just because it's it's always seen. A lot of people put antlers with windigos, and so therefore they're like, well, that's what it is. So Guillermo del Toro's vision is this vengeful spirit on behalf of Mother Earth, which is not at all what that spirit is supposed to be, which okay. is why it looks like this tree antler being. Um, because even in when you watch, what is it called? Uh, like Japanese anime, which is based off their beliefs, their spirits that are forest spirits and stuff like that, they typically are like a deer or a reindeer or an elk, whatever the hell those are called. I don't hunt. Uh, but something with antlers. <laughs> and so I think that's what he was trying to get at is his version of the spirit clashed a little bit with the greed aspect. Uh, Because he was thinking nature spirit. So, 
from his version, I get the antlers. But when you talk about Wendigos, no antlers. Yeah. Uh, so the ritual, as you said, is it's also like a folklore horror. Fucking love that movie. A beast that looks like the head of this one. Um, I've already... I googled it when it came out. It is not a legitimate folklore. That one's not based... It's based off a bunch of different creatures that they stuck together. Oh. Just so you know. But we'll get more into that. If when we, we do it. We, when <laughs> we do that movie. Which will probably be in the coming months. Yeah. Um, but it's a great movie. Go watch it. It's a Netflix original, I think. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. The ritual? Yeah. Yeah. I've watched it a couple of times. They do really well it with it. It is so good. So and good. Uh, knowing okay now knowing that the creature's not a wendigo it makes it even better because that creature's fucking cool it, i mean it might be inspired by a wendigo but it's not specifically wendigo let's see we also had a listener request i think also from jj he requests my, my jim jones jim jones yeah uh, he requests the movie midsummer have you seen Midsommar? Nope. It's fucking crazy. It is also <laughs> it's a 2019, also a folk horror film. So it's a it's an A24 film. If that gives you any sort of an idea, if you know anything about A24 productions, they did The Witch, they did Midsommar, they did Mother. They do crazy shit that fucks with your head. I love Midsommar. It's Shelby also... and I constantly watch this. They also did Hereditary. But watch that. That'll be our next movie. It is... I, I know it's streaming somewhere. I think it's on Prime? Mm, it says premium subscription. It's for Showtime. So I will not have access to that. Let's see. I'll it's have, on Hulu. I'll have to go, it, with, it says with premium subscription, oh. so you have to have Showtime. You're right. You're right. And we'll figure it out. I can always find them free somewhere in the dark net. My Google box tells me where it is. Yep, pretty much. But that'll be our next film. And... It's really good. Uh, the Florence Pugh is the main actress. And I'm madly in love with her. And you know who she is if you've seen Black Widow, at least. Um, I also like Will Poulter. He's good. Is that eyebrows? Yep. Yeah. How the fuck did he go from being eyebrows to looking good? I'm so confused. I have such opinions about this. I mean... I I watch him in We're the Millers, and he's some dorky kid with meg, mega eyebrows. And then I, like, a year passes, and all of a sudden he looks like some man that I would love to lay down with. He, um, he grew up. He did. And with that... Uh, you can send us your movie review of this, or Midsummer, or anything else, or cat pictures, or your Snack requests. Yep, your requests to our Facebook slash Instagram at or underscore cats underscore witch hats. And you can send us an email at or cats witch hats at gmail.com. All one word. Thank you so much for sharing us, getting your friends to listen, um, interacting. We are digging it. Yeah. And we love to hear your feedback. So if, if you give us feedback like JJ did, please share it with us. We'll try our best to, to share it. And uh, also, um, I don't know if he intended for me to share this, but I'm going to. Uh, JJ has four cats. Yeah. 
there and he he goes out and he helps cats and he rescues them and he he's a he, feline he, friend friend of feline yeah and we love that so meow 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 meow